The following program is supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. Close your eyes for a couple of minutes. Just close and tight. And are you any less intelligent? Are you any less incapable? Oh, I'm getting emotional. It's really hard to talk about. When I would talk to people about me having autism, they'd look at me and they'd be like, you don't look autistic. Marie, why don't you want to go to school anymore? And I said, because Roger picks on me. Are you any less mobile just because you've got your eyes closed? And the answer is no. He doesn't look autistic. Oh, he'll grow out of it. Or everyone's just a little bit autistic or on the spectrum. We got that a lot and we get that a lot. And this is what happens is when young people like that are bullied, they don't want to go, they don't feel like they fit in, they're not being included. You know, we all just need to break down these barriers and stigmas and just all get along. I'm not that comfortable with saying I'm a dwarf, but that's up to me to say it. It's not up for someone to call me that. If you knew what autism is and the challenges that we face on a daily basis, you wouldn't be making such a bold comment like that. I think it comes down to misconceptions and misrepresentation. Don't label people, don't put labels on people. Treat each person as an individual, whether they have special needs or not. Each person is unique in their own way. Each person strives in their own way. Because I want people to understand the experience because then they can understand how to communicate with others, how to be inclusive and supportive of people who are going through limb difference where they themselves can't represent what they're going through. My disability does not define me. I don't have a disability. I have a different ability because I am differently abled. Prepare to shatter preconceived notions and misconceptions about disabilities with 2MFM's groundbreaking interview series differently abled. Be inspired by a group of individuals who are challenging stereotypes every day. Differently abled. Paving the way for a more inclusive tomorrow. Hi, it's Nicole Hurley here. I'm a project manager at Autism Awareness Australia and I'm also a parent of a son on the autism spectrum. As a parent of two sons, I'm a fierce advocate for families and individuals with autism and I want to say take each day as it comes and really get to some credible evidence-based information to help you along your journey. Parenting a child with autism can present unique challenges and rewards for many families. Although it affects millions of people around the world, it remains shrouded in misconceptions, stigmatisation and misunderstanding. In this interview today, we speak with Nicole Hurley, a mother with first-hand experience of raising a child with level 2 autism. Nicole Hurley is the project manager at Autism Awareness Australia. And as a parent to two sons, one of them whom is on the autism spectrum, Nicole is very passionate in terms of advocating for families with autism. Through her personal journey today, Nicole will provide insight into the daily struggles and joys of raising a child with autism, as well as guidance on how we can make the world a more inclusive place for children on the spectrum. 
We discuss how to navigate the complex world of autism, including accessing resources and support, building social connections, and balancing the needs of the child with autism with those of the family. Through this interview, we hope to provide valuable insights and support to other parents who are raising a child with autism and to raise awareness of the experiences and needs of families in this situation. So let's dive in and listen to her story with an open mind and an open heart. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Can you please start off by introducing yourself, sharing what you do and giving us a brief overview of your son, Hugo, and a little description about his character? Absolutely. Um, As you said in the intro, my name's Nicole Hurley. I work at Autism Awareness Australia, which is a not-for-profit charity um, that provides credible evidence-based information and resources to the autism community and the families that support them. Um, My son Hugo is eight and a half. He's turning nine this year. He was diagnosed with autism when he was four. He is a walking, talking encyclopedia for dinosaurs, something I thought I would never know. (laughs) Um, uh, Pokemon, Minecraft, he has a great set of friends, um, but he struggles on a a day-to-day basis, not just because of the autism, but he's got a lot of um, co-occurring conditions, which is quite common in the autism um, diagnosis. So he does struggle, but we um, support him each and every day. So talk to us about some of the early signs or indicators that led you to suspect that Hugo might be on the autism spectrum. Mm, How long have we got? Um, (laughs) Hugo was our first child, so we weren't really comparing him to another child. So in terms of signs and developmental um, milestones, we were didn't have anything to compare to. But Hugo was born premature. Um, and so we were under the care of a paediatrician from the first day he was born. He was in the NICU, which is the neonatal intensive care unit for a month. And so we were told when we were released from hospital, he might have some developmental delays. Not once did anyone say anything about autism. So we saw a paediatrician for every six weeks, pretty much for the first two years of his life. It wasn't until he went into daycare at one years old that the educator started questioning the way he communicates or lack thereof, how he socialises with the other children. It was a small daycare, so it was really um, prominent that he wasn't at the same level as his peers in terms of social talking, listening. There was behavioural um, challenges with him. So she first mentioned go get a hearing test. So we went down that route. Then one day she said, I think you need to look into autism. And that was like taking a bullet to the heart. Mm. We we didn't know what we didn't know. And so, of course, Google uh, led us to misconceptions and Rain Man kept popping up, which is quite common. We hear that in the autism community that that's usually the first inference, which is is not the best introduction to, to the autism community. We then started the journey of working out what was what was going on mm. um, and that took us quite a while to get to that diagnosis. So how long did it take to actually get an official diagnosis because I know that the diagnosis process is quite lengthy and it does take quite a bit of time to reach an official diagnosis. So you mentioned that you were directed and advised by the childcare educator um, Mm -hmm. to actually look Mm -hmm. into autism. So did you have, Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, 
a strong sense that it could be autism or is there some doubt in your was there some doubt in your mind that it could be potentially just something else and it could just be that he's yeah. maybe there's a delay mm-hmm. in his speech or a delay in his development yeah absolutely i took that word autism really badly mm-hmm. and i shouldn't have you know in hindsight you know what i did with that with google wasn't great. So I always advise parents, don't go to Google. So what we did, we took that um, advice on the childcare educator to our paediatrician. Now, he was a generalised paediatrician looking at his overall health. And he was really great. He's like, educators know what they're doing because they're around little people a lot. We're not around mm. you know, 20 kids or five kids. So to compare to his peers, we, we went in that situation. So we got a referral to the local um, psychologist and, and that was at 18 months old. Yep. We didn't get his diagnosis to four years. So that gives you a timeline of what happened. And we were very fortunate to be in a position to pay for private um, services as well. So I know that that's also not all, always available to everyone that, that is on this path. At 18 months, that psychologist gave us a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder, which means he has challenges in hypersensitive or undersensitive um, senses, so touch, feel, sound, taste, his whole body, um, which made sense to, sense to us. So when we started really learning about sensory processing, just sort of were like, yep, that's it, autism, what are they talking about? She did in her report that psychologists write, there are signs of autism, but come back when he's five. So yep. if that's what a trained yeah. professional is telling us, we're like, mm, okay. So off we went and started doing some other um therapies to help support him in sensory processing disorder we read every piece that we possibly could find about it but he's at the same time the signs were just getting deeper and more exacerbated so his tent what we thought were tantrums were meltdowns they were driven by you know not being able to communicate lack there of you know his impulsivity, his challenging behaviours, the hyperactivity, except it just it just imploded. So I called the child development unit, which is associated with a lot of hospitals, and they turned me away. They said, "Can he point to milk and say milk?" And I said, "Yes." And they said, "He's not delayed enough. He can't come here." Okay. Mm-hmm. So then I went on to the wait list of pretty much every developmental paediatrician because it's a different paediatrician you need to go to to get a diagnosis or just to, mm-hmm. to work out what's going on. And that took me a long time. He didn't get into C1 until he was three, so later half of his, his third year. And then once we are in there, the paediatrician said, as soon as he walked in, I'm absolutely convinced he is on the autism spectrum. Um, and then the extensive testing happens from there so it wasn't until he was four that we we sat down with the pediatrician and said he is level two on the autism spectrum disorder and it really really wasn't our best day that Mm. was you know I my husband and I walked out of that meeting and we were heartbroken we didn't and it was all based on our lack of education and um, understanding of what autism meant. But we just went to world worst-case scenario and went really into the future. He's never going to leave home. He's never going to get married. He's never going to go to school. You know, we were told some pretty mm, misleading things in that meeting about what he won't and will be able to do in the future, which scared us. It all came from a place of love and, and 
a place that we were scared. Um, but I guess my advice that I always give to parents is what, what you do with that information next. Um, and we went into action mode. Um, we had our day of crying. We went to a cafe and straight away or the biggest bowl of fries. We just ate and ate our emotions, cried a lot. We, yeah. we just didn't know how to react. That's right. I can imagine. And for many parents to receive any kind of diagnosis, they're going to react in that way or similar to the mm. way that you reacted. It's mm. a new territory for parents. And we always question the what ifs, what could I have done? Mm. Or what does mm -hmm. the future mean? Or what does the future look like for my child? You always want the best for them. But it's not until you start Absolutely. educating yourself and actually mm -hmm. experiencing it and seeing it from a different perspective and a different lens that you start to realize this is my world now and I need to learn how to That's navigate it. It can be done. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that, you know, one of the challenges that you faced during the diagnosis process is that you were turned away And typically when it comes to any kind of diagnosis, intervention or prevention uh, for some mm. things is key. When it comes to autism, early intervention is key, right? So delaying Absolutely. any sort of you know, intervention can delay the process of amending anything. So when you say level really? two autism, are we talking about all the associated diagnosis or is that separate? So you've got ADHD. That's sensory, separate. That's separate. Yep. So when you say level it's two autism, separate. we know that the autism spectrum is, is quite varied and, and diverse. You know, no two people with autism Correct. are the same. How would you describe uh, what Hugo sees, what he feels, how he responds mm. to the world differently from neurotypical children? Yeah, and look, and, and it's, Not linear either, it moves. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. You know, he's diagnosed when he was three. If you met him today and read the reports on mm. him then, two mm. totally different children. And I guess to your point about early intervention, we've just seen him thrive as opposed to he was just surviving. We were all just surviving each day, getting through, whereas now once we got that autism diagnosis, we knew what was going on, we educated ourselves, got to know him better because of what we were learning and got him into the right intervention and help and support. So I think that's so vital to understanding your child and getting to know them on an individual level. Like I said, autism is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And like I said, some days you wouldn't think he was autistic at all. And then other times it is plain as day to everyone in, in public, in anywhere he goes, that mm. he's having, you know, that scaffolding of support. So, so, every day, so every day for you and for him is quite different, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, for him, how, he, how it affects his daily life, he was also diagnosed as an insomniac. So for many years... He survived on two to four hours of sleep. Mm. He just couldn't wind down. He couldn't stay asleep. He was hyperactive, and that affects the whole family. Yeah. Um, then his eating stopped. Everything, he was a great eater as, as a baby, and then everything stopped. He's had the same dinner for the last four years, um, which makes it easier because I can just make the same thing. That's, that's not what we want. Our, we want our child to have a wholesome, healthy yeah. variety of food. But at the same time, kids um, typically, you know, they go through phases, you know, sometimes they eat more than other times. Um, and do you find that for him, sometimes he's struggling a lot more than other times in terms of how he eats? 
even like going to a cafe can be really hit and miss in terms of sounds, smells even. Like if someone's eating a Chinese dish next to him or something that has a lot of spice or rich flavours and smells, he goes into a complete meltdown. He just – and depending on his sensory pro- profile that day, he might have done a lot of swimming the day before, which has kept him calm, but then something else has triggered something else in the sensory profile and, you know, he's screaming – blue murder about a noise that no one else can hear and then 10 minutes later thunderstorms he'd be like there's storms coming and he'd rock in a corner and Mm. you know so much pain was coming out of this child's body and we're like what's what's happening and then 10 minutes later this mass thunderstorm and lightning storm will come so you just don't know what you're going to come up against but in the years of doing his early intervention we've been able to work with you know specialists to track and work out what are those key triggers so there are some known things that we can help him and support him and and scaffold him and keep him you know going about his day as as well as he can but then there's just curveballs that you get every day and you get that in all parenting but um absolutely i guess the fallout for him can really be catastrophic and 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 a lot bigger for him personally so what are some of the typical strategies that have been helpful in helping him manage these co-occurring conditions talk about scaffolding a lot and when I talk about scaffolding it's he we've put together an amazing team that supports him so a team at school so whether it's his teachers and the learning support that help him learn at school a lot goes in around that then there's his team at home so us his parents his younger brother close um, cousins and, and family really keeping that social connectedness and family together within the home we have visual schedules we've got reminders He has a lot of freedom at home, so there's a lot of downtime for when he comes home from school. He's on his, you know, headphones, iPads. We know he's really into drawing. Drawing keeps him calm and regulates his body. So after a big day at school, he's keeping it together, he's learning and he's doing everything the best he can and he needs to come home. Instead of melting down, he goes and draws. He gets on Minecraft and that might not be for every family to allow that but we you know we know what he needs and and we give him that he knows his schedule he knows all the things that drive his anxiety and and some of those meltdowns we we give him that at home children typically they do thrive with routine so you feel like with him he really thrives with routine absolutely yeah. yeah were you always the person the type of person to actually have routine in your life or do you feel like after having hugo you needed to incorporate that sense of routine and structure in your life. We're pretty routine creatures here in our house, but even more so, we had to peel back a lot. So our social diaries wouldn't be as crowded as other families, for instance. Mm. We we know when it's going to get too much and we try not to overbook him or us because something that we didn't do well in the beginning as parents, we, we threw everything into Hugo and mm. we didn't, give ourselves our own space too to decompress to you know really take care of ourselves as well so we've gotten a lot better at that for Mm. a whole family perspective um you know other things just to answer your question before about how Mm. what strategies and and help him is we've got a team of therapists that work in the school out of school in the home so we're, we're tackling it from all angles to help Hugo and get him the supports that we need and look those, those things change over time what worked for him at three doesn't work anymore and he has a lot of input now into 
you know, if he's he if he's feeling angry or overwhelmed, which sometimes can be some challenging behaviours, he's got a toolkit. He knows I can do five finger breathing, or he goes and he chooses to do push ups on a wall, or he goes, like I said before, goes and does drawing. There's different tools that he's come up with and named them from his own. So I think it's really important when, and he couldn't do that at three. He didn't have the speech or the language skills to do that. But now he's got buying, or he might make it a dinosaur game. We made an app for him. My husband is incredibly talented in the IT space, but. Mm. When he really only talked to us in dinosaur, he would roar at us and he could say all the dinosaur names, but he couldn't say mum. <laughs> yep, yep. You know, we made this app and it was tell us how you feel and he'd point and he designed it like T-Rex was the red, I'm in the red zone, so that's T-Rex. But, oh, if I'm just feeling a little bit, that's a velociraptor blue. Like, yep. So it's really important to be led by the child as well. Um, that's not always the case, but um, there's little things like that that can really make it mm. an individual level. But I really admire that, you know. You really tailored that support network and that system in order to help him thrive, you know. And it's so important yeah. because there's no one-size-fits-all. You need to find no. what best suits your child. And you can find that the way he communicates mm-hmm. is through dinosaurs because he – He finds it so intriguing. He finds it so fascinating. It's his safe space. And I feel like that is so admirable. And that's... Yeah. I mean, anytime Mm. we meet a new teacher or we're briefing a new therapist, I said, how do we connect with you guys? And if you talk to him about dinosaurs or Minecraft or Pokemon, you're going to win him over. But nine times out of ten, it's dinosaurs. You know, you obviously have another child. How do do. you balance... A lot of people tend to neglect their other children not because they intend to do that but because obviously their child with special needs really needs that extra support and 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 so on and so forth Mm -hmm. but but how do you balance the needs of hugo with the needs of your family Mm. your husband and your other child oh at first badly really badly and like my youngest was a newborn when hugo was probably at the high highest of not being understood we were scrambling to do everything to help him this was prior to a diagnosis so we went down vitamins Cairo. we just we enlisted in everything because we didn't know what we didn't know and you know my youngest was basically in a capsule for a year just being dragged everywhere now he wouldn't remember that but i do as a mother and i have a lot of guilt about that um you know i stopped working to really, once we got the diagnosis, we got Hugo into a fantastic early intervention space that was dedicated for autistic children um, to really get him ready for those years prior to starting school. That was our saviour. They understood us. They understood him. They got us as a family. And that's when we started to see him thrive and we could really start to invest more time in our youngest. And I think we've struck the balance a lot better now, but unfortunately it's always going to be outweighed to Hugo. And it's really interesting. Hugo doesn't see his diagnosis. We've tried talking to him about it. He lives in this beautiful bubble of Hugo world and everything in the world's fun, positive, et cetera, and I hope he stays in that world. That's good, Um, yeah. Yeah. It's great. But his youngest sibling, when Mm. he was two, he went and toilet trained himself. Hugo, still not toilet trained. Yeah. And so he's asking the question. Hugo doesn't ask the question. So the youngest is like, why is Hugo like this? And why does Hugo still wear this? Or why can I do this and Hugo not? And w- mm. he has a better understanding of our family than Hugo does. And that's fine. 
but you know we've we've spoken to our youngest about you know Hugo needs help in this and if you ever need help mummy and daddy will do the same but for right now this is what Hugo needs mm. and this is how we're we're all helping him and so we just really try to explain that if you ever need us for anything outside of you know everyday parenting and you know growing a child to be happy and healthy so we will always do this for you as well but you don't need that children typically they see whether their parents are giving another child more attention than themselves so it's good mm. to know that you speak to his level but you explain to him what the situation is in a way that you don't really overwhelm him with too much information no. um and as he gets older he no. will start to realize the, the kind of structure of your family mm. and, and how things are really yeah. happening and why they're happening in that way. But, you know, the general yeah. gist is that Hugo sees the world differently to the way you see it. But he's just like you, you know, he has the same needs. Yeah, absolutely. He has feelings, he has emotions, he wants to be loved, he wants his, you know, mm-hmm. his brother beside him, you know. We have to give yep. them that same love, that same sense of absolutely. belonging. But I, I can understand, you know, the struggles of managing that but what do you wish i guess more people knew about parenting a child with autism and how can society better support families in this situation i think with anything or anyone that you meet or get to know is get to know them and try not to compare them to your yourself or your family um like i said before like there's a lot of ipad and ipad time here that's not going to be for everyone, but that's how we keep a calmness and, and regulation. I think the best thing is to, is to ask questions, but without any prejudice and any opinions that go with that. So be open to the answer. If you're going to ask questions, be open to hear the raw and the reality of what's going on. And don't try to solve it for, for the parents. Quite often, I think a lot of People, you get this in, in grief as well. People want to fix you or solve for you, but that's not what we need. Just sometimes just need a cup of tea, mm. <laughs> a yeah. meal maybe, or just someone to listen. Or, or and sometimes like maybe I don't want to talk about autism when I catch up. Mm. <laughs> um, that's right. You exactly. know, my I, life I isn't only about. I live in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think you know you can ask the questions, but also there's there's a great thing called Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that might not land you in a in a great place, but if you go to the you know, the good resources like Autism Awareness Australia and there's some really great Australian um, resources that we, we tap into if we don't actually have that information. But getting well first, I think, is because there's an awareness piece but there's an education and once you get through there, then the acceptance comes. I don't think the acceptance can come straight away without understanding mm. and learning and maybe spending some time with that family and that, right. and that child. Exactly. You know, in terms of public spaces, I mean, you mentioned that Hugo does have some sensory issues, right? He might be overstimulated Mm -hmm. or he might have, you know, a breakdown or anything like that. Do you find Mm -hmm. that you might face stares or or challenges or discrimination? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that spells, (laughs) spelling it out. Yeah, and probably not so much these days, but sometimes it is because he's, you know, turning nine, there's probably an expectation from society that he shouldn't be that loud or why mm. is he wearing headphones in a cafe. According to so them, settle down, yeah, settle down. According to them, yeah. Mm. I'm, a, I'm a fierce mama bear and I see the looks before mm. they come. I can just I can just read a situation. We were recently on a holiday mm. and in a hotel and, you know, he 
maybe I don't see it anymore, but he was walking along with me and he was just being Hugo and he had his headphones on. He was just like, I don't know, singing or whatever. And clearly that was annoying some some people walking past and they sort of scoffed and, you know, I will have a go. I will shut that down because he's getting older. He can see it and he can hear it. And so I squash that any chance I can get. There's sometimes that I ignore it but um when he was a lot younger there was a lot of meltdowns in in public spaces and the interesting thing that we noticed was no one ever came to help me but if it was with my husband people would come and help him Mm. it was kind of this weird societal i don't know what to call it that they you know the mum should control that child but the dad we better go help the dad but we couldn't help the mum you know, it was just really weird, and that was just our own experiences. But um, yeah, look, he he still gets it. We've tried him in sports, and he he does stand out on a on a football pitch. He tried football because his little brother was, and he wanted to do what his little brother does. And we're always going to give him Support the opportunity, him. whatever course. he wants to do. But Absolutely. in a team environment, he didn't go that well. So he was picking the grass and looking at the other fields, and so he really stood out in that environment and he since said I don't want to do it thank you no thank you he um, wanted to explore it and see it for himself yeah. because it yeah, happens he just with... said, oh, I get a little bit confused with all the people yeah and, overwhelmed you know, shouting from the sideline and I'm like that's that's fine it's what not his safe space so does... yeah no it's yeah. not so he does scouts which is a perfect place for him exactly. he loves it he's he's always wanting to learn he always wants to be part of a group, but he can be a real individual in that group and they're very inclusive and very accepting of probably the non-traditional sports kids. So, um, yeah, there's always society. Of course, judging. societal expectations. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and look, we've come a long way in society. Like the Rain Man stereotype, I think, is thankfully going. But then you've got new sort of perceptions from Societal understanding has a lot to do in terms of understanding and, and really getting to know that it's not just one mm. one autism. That's um, the thing, um, you know, when it comes to the representation of autism, we get a lot of our information and our influence from media, from popular culture, mm. from social media. So, mm, unfortunately, TikTok. TikTok, <laughs> exactly. There, sure. <laughs> look, it's look. If you, we can utilize social media and those digital Absolutely. platforms in a positive way, because I personally mm-hmm. have learned a lot about the special needs community from TikTok, but then there are mm-hmm. other times where you come across content that is inappropriate and insensitive. So really, Mm. what do you think the best way is to actually educate ourselves about the world of autism? Go to Autism Awareness Australia. (laughs) We're the largest. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to plug where I work. Great Um, advocate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, look, there's a few resources that I used before I worked at Autism Awareness Australia. So there was a book called The Australian Autism Handbook, which was the first... um, book that we were advised to read and they just came out with a new edition this January and you know Hugo and our parenting experience is highlighted throughout that Mm. but that was the single most influential resource that we used my husband had it on his kindle I had the hard copy we were you know then going on to those sites so I think it's finding a reputable point that then gives you what you need to then go and make the plan for your child and your family Mm. and that's what led me to following Autism Awareness Australia and at the time, many years ago, they we put together a documentary about dad and the fatherhood experience 
um, with autism. And so I sent my husband off there and he said, oh, my gosh, you need to meet the CEO. She's amazing. And then, you know, a few years later, I'm working for her. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's about finding that credible hub of information that you can follow online, you know, on socials and, and then, you know, really empower yourself with that information from there and what to do next. But those kinds of resources and, you know, Autism Australia, you know, you will find mm-hmm. that people who are entering that world as as a parent or navigating through that mm-hmm. space, they will access those kinds of resources or vouch for those resources. But what about, you know, when it comes to other people, they typically, do you find that when they interact with, with a parent of an autistic child that they can better understand do you find that we need to initiate more conversations? We need to do these kinds of radio programs, you know? We need to really spell it loud and clear. You know, this is not an appropriate thing to say, for example. When it comes Mm. to phrases or comments, there are certain things where there's a comment, there's a very common remark that that people might say to, to an autistic person where they would say, you don't look autistic, and mm-hmm. that's very inappropriate. What can you say about some of the comments or remarks that people should not say to someone yeah. with autism or when discussing you know, that, someone's diagnosis? If I said, so, oh, I'm diabetic, would someone say you don't look diabetic? You know, we talk about an invisible disability. Um, sometimes it is visible, differing co-occurring conditions and disabilities. But, yeah, the he doesn't look autistic or he'll grow out of it or everyone's just a little bit autistic or on the spectrum. We mm. we got that a lot and we get that a lot. I think it comes down to misconceptions and misrepresentation. So, you know, generally I find those people are thinking about Rain Man and I hate to come back to that, but that's where a lot of society gets it. And like you said before, media is a great place that we we get some information but we also get some mis, misinformation there's some there's some great shows at the moment that are mass media love on the spectrum that really show a cross representation of the autism community um but when you're in those conversations with people it's just ignorance and uneducation so it's at that point that you can maybe turn that around and go that's actually really disrespectful and then you have a point there to give some education. Hey, if you want some more information, happy to grab a cup of tea with you and give you more information. I can send you some links to, to do some reading in your own time. But I think, you know, prior to me having a child um, with a disability, I probably, I, I would like to think that if someone else was talking about their child or some sort of condition that I would have, approach that with some empathy and if I didn't know I would either ask in a moment or go and find out to more information so I could ask better next time um I think it's down to the individual and I think we're all grown up enough to know that inclusivity and diversity is amongst our community and if you're a parent of a child that's typical they're likely to have you know disability in their classroom one in four people have got a neurodevelopmental condition um, so we've got to try and teach our our kids empathy as well 
because if you're not going to speak to it, how are our children, our next generation, going to mm. be inclusive? That's right. It starts with our children. It starts with our mm. role as parents to educate our children mm. to to be accepting of whoever it is in their classroom yeah. because they are going to come across children of different cultures, um, different yeah, abilities. Exactly. So what would your advice be in terms of how we can be more mindful and compassionate when interacting with individuals on the autism spectrum? What changes do you hope to see in the future when it comes to understanding and supporting individuals with autism, both on a societal and individual level? That's a big one. It's a big task that we try and help everyone every day. Look, it's got to get back to get to know the person like you would with anyone else each person's an individual, to not be afraid and to really, if you, if you don't know better, go go find out. And then once you know better, you can do better. Um, right. And that's across all walks of life, right? With empathy comes compassion. So there's a lot of space in schools that can do better, um, you know, from teachers, um, from workplaces, hiring diversity and having inclusion strategies and plans. There's so much to be done. We're getting better, but there's mm. I could talk about that for hours. There's, there's just so much to do. But I think if you lead with empathy and inquiry, then you're going to get to know someone better and then you can do better. Absolutely. In this situation, when I had plans to conduct this interview with you, I had to familiarise mm-hmm. myself and educate myself and look into how I'm going to properly ask those questions because I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to speak with ignorance. I don't want to speak based on my perceptions and my opinion. I want to be educated Mm. and speak, you know, in an educated manner. And that's a thing. Inquire about others. Research from the appropriate sources. Don't just assume. And that's what really leads a lot of people to feel left out, to be discriminated against. You know, it's that sense Mm. of having that opinion, having having that sense of or lack of awareness. So it's really important that you mention that in terms of changing how we operate as individuals and as a society in workplaces, at school settings, because we can't ignore the fact that bullying still does exist, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's yeah. not just mm-hmm. in our playgrounds, it's online. It's happening more than ever online and we need to really find appropriate ways in in dealing with this situation in in being a voice for others and it's not just your role as a parent with special needs it's the role of each and every one of us to be that voice for others absolutely because we're exhausted yeah yeah (laughs) Um, and that will always be our role um as the parents of you know uh, a child that's with a disability but um yeah, we put put it on society to learn more. You know, like I recently had an interaction with someone who was struggling with their mental health. I don't know how to react to that. So I went on to the RUOK site and they've got a template there for some of the questions because, like you were saying before, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Exactly. Um, I wanted to, you know, so I went and saw resources and that's what's so lovely about being in this digital world is there are a lot of resources and like you said, get into the right ones so then you can have that conversation. Or you can always just say, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what what the best way to say, but can yeah. I help? What, yeah. what can I do to help? Exactly. Or how, how do I better understand? 
Because sometimes um, people, sometimes people <laughs> you know? are afraid to actually ask if that person needs help. It could come from a place of love and compassion, but the way they articulate it, the way they say it, the way they word it is incorrect. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you intend it to hurt that person, but they are so exhausted and they've been mm. through so much in their life that they can't even tolerate or handle that remark that you might assume is nothing, you know, to you, it's nothing, but to mm. them, they might feel that it really it hurts them, and we yeah, need to okay. be able to know. And that's why I initiated this program because we need to teach people loud and clear how we should speak, how we should interact with mm. other people, so that we don't we aren't sources of of hurt, but rather we want to be a source of compassion and love and understanding yeah. for those people. So you mentioned that as a parent, you know, it's it's exhausting, but it's also rewarding to be Hugo's parent. Absolutely. You know, we can't oh. neglect that. You know, he's an amazing young boy and you, you've come a long way. Like how do you find as a mother, how much have you grown and developed as a mother oh, because I of mean, Hugo? My Yeah, absolutely. Like when I was pregnant with Hugo, I think – most parents have this ideal sort of vision of what life's going to be and yeah. you know and that got turned upside down but the in turning upside down i'm in a place personally i was really unrewarded in my corporate gig for 20 plus years and prior to falling pregnant you know i was saying to my husband oh i want to get in the charity space but you know making the leap from corporate to charity blah 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 just don't have that sort of oomph in the morning getting up and really doing something purposeful and meaningful. And, you know, after the diagnosis, I quit my corporate gig. I'll never go back to that because Hugo has, you know, a lot of therapies outside of school that I need to have some flexibility around. And, um, you know, I'm now doing a job that I absolutely love. Like it doesn't even feel like a job. It's purposeful. It's meaningful. I'm learning more about autism each and every day. I also parent very differently to what I thought I would and you know I have had to change the the goalposts and we do that every day but you know we go on courses parenting on the spectrum we we get coached by our therapists it's I don't know like I don't have another an older sibling to Hugo to to retrospectively say how I've changed I just have I'm a lot more empathetic yeah I was never in the disability Mm. space and never foresaw that I would be so there's so much growth personally empathetically for not just autism but all disabilities mm. and, and people with disability just a lot has changed I mean my relationship with my husband's changed sometimes not for the better and we talk openly about that it mm. does put a lot of pressure yep. on us no and what we wanted to do has been put on a back burner a lot um, which is fine but like you said the rewards are you know our family function so well these days we have fun we go on holidays we do all sorts of stuff we get our alone time we're trying to balance you know healthy habits between my husband running and going back to the gym and things like that so you know things are easier because we have specific programs in place Mm. to help Hugo but also to help ourselves as well absolutely and that's that's where a lot of the stigma comes in is that they do have this preconception or this idea that you're not going to be able to go out you know to a cafe or go on a holiday or you know enjoy some time with your spouse they assume that your world is going to be turned upside down in a sense where you're going to be locked in between four walls and that's you're not going to have a life as they say but you 
gave yourself that opportunity to enjoy life despite the struggles because everyone and anyone can struggle you know life is full of hardships and calamities so we need to you know embrace that as part of our existence in this world and realize that we just need to push forward what advice would you have to other parents who are raising a child with autism particularly those who may be feeling quite overwhelmed, don't know how to navigate it, or they're unsure of how to proceed. There are some people who may be mm-hmm. listening right now who are in the, that process of diagnosis. Um, there could be someone who has a child that has a speech delay and they're figuring out, okay, what, what's going on? You know, they might be navigating mm-hmm. through that diagnosis process. So for those who are in that space, as well as those who have, recently received a diagnosis what what would your advice be to those people breathe I don't think I breathe or took a breath for years and it's really hard as a parent to do that but really take a deep breath um you're not gonna solve for it all in the one day or the one year even it's about getting out of the toxic Facebook groups I went to a lot of autism groups and that just wasn't the place at that stage of the journey to to get the support. I think you've got to take each day as it comes and communicate with those around you to really talk about how you're feeling. Um, we didn't we didn't do that. We didn't do a great job at that, um, leaning on people. Um, we kind of kept it all within ourselves because um, we just didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't even know how to talk about it. Um, and getting the right resources. So um, a resource that we built called Autism What Next, it was built by parents, carers and autistics around the first 12 to 18 months of seeking or receiving an autism diagnosis. And it was built by those people of in retrospect of what they would have wanted if they were going through that um, process. And it's really short, digestible bits of information. There's video, there's animations, you can get your own curated journey of where you're at. So you can say, I'm getting a diagnosis for my three-year-old. What do I do? Like, literally, what do I do next? Because you're left to the plethora of Google. Um, you're left to GPs that aren't um, specifically trained in autism or experts. And sometimes, like, like us, we were given a bit of a bum steer, you know, wait and see or come back when you're five, etc. So sometimes... We love the professionals and they have their role to play, but sometimes they don't get it right. And within here, we've got the top Australian leading clinicians and professors helping you along that way. So yep. I just say be kind to yourself. That's right. That's right. Nicole, thank you so much for sharing your invaluable insights. Your words have really uh, provided a great deal of comfort and inspiration to those navigating similar challenges. And I can't thank you enough for your contribution to the autism community. You know, your dedication to raising awareness and promoting understanding is truly commendable. And I'm honoured to have had the opportunity to learn from you. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation and have me back anytime. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.